0: I'm Khalil Ekolona, and this is Nashville. To me, one of the best parts of our city is that it's made up of different immigrant communities. That's part of why it has the potential to become a truly international city. People from all over the world live here. That's represented in our Egyptian community. The population took off in the early 90s, and as a result, Nashville has one of the highest percentages of Egyptian Americans in the country. But even with those numbers, they haven't been featured much by local media. So let's change that. Today, we're talk with three generations of Egyptian Nashvilians about their lives, their culture, and what the community's needs are. But first, we have a major development out of the Tennessee Capitol. Just here in the past hour, after several days of standoff, lawmakers in the Senate and House have reached an agreement, and the special session has ended today. WPLN reporter Rose Gilbert has been covering the twists and turns and is here with us now. And we have WPLN state politics reporter Blaze Ganey, who is at the State House. Welcome to you both. Thanks for being here.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: Yep. All right. So, Blaze, give us the latest. What's the deal with the lawmakers that the lawmakers worked out this morning?
2: Yeah. So the Senate agreed with the House on spending $50 million to provide grants for licensed community mental health agencies to provide services um, there's also going to be $30 million distributed to the Department of Education. That'll be used for school safety grants. And then uh, they agreed on a number for the uh, gun safety ad that they want to make, um, and that is There's $1. $1 There are some other things in there, but it, it's so fresh, I haven't had a chance to look through it all yet.
0: All right. Now, I want you to tell us about the scene here. We started today experiencing very, expecting very little from the Senate, and that suddenly has changed.
2: Well, yeah, the scene um, at first was pretty standard for what it's been, this special session, which uh, is pretty loud. Um, as the Senate wrapped up, you could hear people screaming. One person said uh, to lawmakers that more children will die because of this. Um, you, and by this, I mean the inaction of not passing common you know, gun legislation, any type of gun reform. But the scene in the House was uh, a lot more... Um, extreme, I guess you could say uh, There were people screaming fascist As they adjourned And Signy died to end session uh, Representative Justin Jones And Representative Justin J. Pearson Both held up signs Along with Representative Jason Powell And as the speaker tried to make his way Out of his pulpit area He was approached By uh, Representative Justin J. Pearson Who then went on there To uh, try and speak with him during that time, uh, they some contact was made. It's not clear who shoved who, but there's a video on Twitter where you can see Sexton's arm clearly going to uh, Justin J. Pearson's chest area, um, and it, it got a little physical, I guess mm. you could say.
0: Mm. All right, so that's interesting news that we're going to keep updates on. Let's go all the way back to just one day ago. Now, Blaze, you were getting mixed signals about what bills would be discussed, and there was even a chance that some lawmakers were preparing for a couple more weeks of session. Is that right?
2: Yeah, that's true. Um, up until really uh, about 9 o'clock this morning, I assumed, hey, we'll probably be here next week, and I was preparing uh, multiple stories and to talk to you all about how, uh, you know, there was a logjam in anything moving. Uh, but then all of a sudden, it was said that a deal was made which i explained earlier and now uh you know less than three hours later everything's over Uh special session is over and i would anticipate you know that isn't the end of the deal it seems like the house sort of gave in and didn't pass any more bills and the senate didn't pass those either i would imagine when january comes we see a lot of these bills come back that the house was moving on and maybe they make some movement in the senate
0: now, speaking of the House rows, there is another big development there yesterday. We saw more conflict over the special rules. Let's listen in to the moment when Representative Justin Jones became the first member to be silenced by the new rules.
2: Mr. Clerk, take the vote. The gallery's ruled out of order i seventy twenty nays. Department of Safety, please clear the balcony for disorderly behavior. It passes.
0: I don't know if how you could hear who voted yay or nay with all that chanting, but Rose, tell us, tell us what led to that moment.
1: Well, first of all, Chloe, uh, they do have an LED screen where okay. everyone's show, name shows up in green or red, so that helped. All right. Um, yeah, so. We've been hearing a lot about the new rules for the special session. A lot of that discussion has been really focused on the signs. Um, but uh, there were other r- new rules in place about, uh, you know, censuring basically lawmakers. Um, and one of them was that if you have been called out of order twice, then you were silenced for the rest of the day. Um, now, Justin, uh, Representative Justin Jones had been called out of order once earlier. Um, and then again, while discussing a bill that would allow basically law enforcement to place... Uh, officers in schools as SROs without the school's permission and without training them as SROs, mm. and um, basically, House Speaker Sexton said that he was off off topic, off the bill, um, and held a vote to determine whether or not he was on topic or not. Uh, that vote went, you know, very clearly along party lines. Uh, he was ruled off topic and therefore out of order for a second time, and that meant he could not be called on um, to speak for for the rest of the day, basically, um, which you know, outraged a lot of people. Uh, his fellow Democratic lawmakers walked out with him after that. Uh, the galleries, as you heard in that clip, I mean, they, they was just immediate like they've been pretty polite uh, that day. They did not want to get kicked out. They were they were they were hissing and they were knocking, but they weren't pl- applauding. They weren't breaking the rules. And then kind of everything broke uh, in that moment.
0: OK, now you spend a lot of time in the gallery next to Tennesseans who've been attending the session each day. Now that you've seen how things played out. What are your takeaways about the impact of the presence of all those families and demonstrators?
1: Well, I mean, I think we can see from from the lawsuits over the signs and and, and people getting cleared out and all that. You know, a lot of lawmakers, especially especially uh, Republican lawmakers who were really bothered by them, who did, did not want them there. Um, and what I think and, and of course, uh, other lawmakers uh, like like Pearson and, and Justin Jones, who were kind of bolstered by their support, um I think what's kind of interesting to think about, though, is the families, the people who position themselves very specifically as Covenant families, um, you know, they they were kind of uncomfortably ignored by a lot of lawmakers. Um, they had been... There was a group called the Covenant Families Action Fund that had met with uh, over 60 lawmakers in the lead-up to the session, and they seemed very optimistic about this session. They felt they'd been treated with a lot of care and dignity and respect, and I think it was kind of a shock to them. Um, how much? How how little the legislature did on gun reform, and honestly, how they were treated. Um, they I I spoke to a few of those parents uh, yesterday, and and they were really angry, um, and and felt very insulted. I think. Mm.
0: Now, Blaze, talk to us about where the governor has been for all of this. He called for this special session in wake of the Covenant shooting, and then what?
2: Yeah, so I mean, during the actual special session, he been relatively quiet he hadn't been in Nashville on any events hadn't made much time to speak to the press but then all of a sudden last week uh at the end of the week he sent out a statement sort of saying that he was confident that both chambers could make meaningful progress um then yesterday his office confirmed that he sent out a dozen bills that he thought would help facilitate the conversations i'm not sure exactly where that went because none of those bills ended up passing as i spoke to earlier and so it's not really clear how much impact he had on what lawmakers did here during special session.
0: Mm. Now, now, Rose, we heard a lot about the actions and some of the theatrics that took place at the session. A lot of people are wondering, what did lawmakers actually pass during this past week and a half? You've been looking closely into a few of these bills. What stands out to you?
1: I think what stands out is uh, how uh, similar the result that we got is from kind of where the senate said they were at the beginning of all this i mean as we've heard from blaze's reporting uh basically they're like okay we're going to pass this like trio of bills and the budget and uh you know we're wrapping up and they passed this trio of bills including one on on gun locks another um kind of a little bit out of left field about additional reporting requirements from tbi on human trafficking um and you know and the and the budget um so the budget's actually interesting, like Blaze said, where this deal kind of came about. That's where they got those uh, 50 million in grants for mental health, health agencies and the um, funding for school safety as well. So that that's kind of where the leeway happened was in the budget. But again, what sticks out to me is just how kind of unchanged I guess the result that we have now is from what the Senate said they would do.
0: Mm. Now, Blaze, I know a German is just happening today, but l- let's look ahead to what comes next. Will we see lawmakers picking up any of these bills in their regular session in January? Of course, uh,
2: the arming teachers bill, the bill that allows more guns on campus, those aren't new ideas. Those have come up before. So those were already expected to be seen in January and and will again. Um, I'd imagine we'd see a, a red flag law or ERPO bill come up again. Um, I'm not sure if, you know, a couple of months will change the Republicans' views on the bill, but it will definitely come up again. But, you know, I think the biggest thing is, will this uh, these rules carry over? It's still not clear whether these rules that uh, Representative Justin Jones was uh, apparently violated will stick in uh, during a regular session that's much longer in could lead to uh, steeper consequences.
0: Well, we know you'll be keeping a close eye on everything. Blaze Ganey has covered just about every hour of the special session over the past week for WPLN. You can catch his updates on our live blog and in all things considered newscasts this afternoon. And Rose Gilbert has been sharing the latest from the families of Covenant School students and digging into the legislation. I want to thank you both for the hard work. Thanks for this update, and thank you, as always, for your reporting. Thank you, Khalil. All right. Thank you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk with three members of our Egyptian community to hear their stories about how they've come to make Nashville home. Join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Kulona, and this is Nashville. Our city is truly rich with culture, and it's our immigrant communities that help to add to the best parts of living in Nashville. Our Egyptian community has been contributing to the cultural mix since the early 90s, and the city's much better for it. But how did they come to make Nashville their homes? What are their immigration stories? My next guest represent three generations of Egyptian Nashvilleans, and they join me now to fill us in. I'd like to introduce Ashraf Azer, who works as an operation manager at the Gaylord Opryland Hotel. Raghab Rashwan, who is the owner of King Tut's Restaurant and Food Truck. And local journalist, Meret Haneen. I want to thank you all for being here. Welcome. So this is Nashville. Thank you. Thank you for,
3: Thank you. Having, Thank you for us. having us.
0: Really appreciate you being here. I'm excited. So you all, all three of you, represent three different ge- generations of Egyptian Nashvillians. I'm really curious about your immigration stories. Ashraf, let's start with you.
4: You know, what year did you immigrate to the United States? Okay, um, I came here in United States in uh, December first, two thousand five. Okay, December first. Did you originally come to yeah, Nashville? Yeah, I just. Cairo to Nashville, uh-huh. Cairo, uh, Heathrow, London, and Detroit, and Nashville. Detroit and then Nashville. Nashville. Yeah. Well, how old were you? Um, I was uh, 36, Okay. 50, All right. So firmly in adulthood.
0: Yeah. What were what, what were your thoughts of Nashville when you first
4: arrived? Uh, I came here. I get out of the airport, and it was extremely cold okay i didn't imagine it's gonna be this cold it used to be very cold at winter you know it was um, icy in the car every morning since the winter and i didn't realize you know the difference between you know the temperature until i you know i used to get to it you know mm-hmm. uh, give me warning don't you know be careful when you driving all this kind of new experience uh, I am lucky. I count myself lucky because I find someone maybe, you know, advise me to do stuff or telling me to do stuff. Because we used to have, you know, very, very small community doesn't base like, you know, a thousand family or something. Mm -hmm. The last, uh, you know, count we did when our Bob Tuadros came from Egypt, the first visit after he came as our Bob. In Middle East and around the world, we was twenty-five thousand family. Wow! Yeah, and this is was uh, like six, seven years ago. It's big, big population. Okay. Uh, nobody have time for all this number right now, and the people came and they have needs, they have problems. But I count myself. I came when we are, you know, still okay. Um, I struggled in the first, a lot, you know, I have uh, experiencing, uh, looking for a job, uh, try to get my drive license. I couldn't, I failed the test four times because, you know, the language, mm-hmm. I have to take the test on the screen. It's not in paper anymore. They used to allow the people to have paper test in the drive license, okay. uh, which it gives them chance to think about the question if they study. I used to study the drive license book since I was in Egypt when I know I am coming here. Mm -hmm. But this doesn't happen anymore, and this is one of our fighting buoyant. I do want to ask you a little bit later on in the show about
0: some of the needs and the the, your your drive to have the driver's test written Mm -hmm. in Arabic for people so they can understand, and it's more than just English. But, Ragab, I want to move to you a little bit. Tell me about when you came to the United States.
5: Uh, well, I came in, in 2010. I arrived to uh, New Jersey, and um, it was just like, as I say, he said it was a, a transaction between uh, win- uh, like fall and uh, winter. Okay, so, so you had a little bit of a uh, climate shock. Um, Did you have cultural shock? I did have a culture shock where like the second week I went to Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin. And that was really crazy because the first time in my life I see a car driving over uh, lakes. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's really crazy. <laughs> that's something else. All right, so you spent a lot of time in New York and New Jersey. What was that like for you? I was, uh, it was a lot of a change, like difference in what we have in Cairo. Cairo is a big city, like a multiple city, mega city. But in, in New York, like, there's a lot of freedom, a lot of uh, a lot of multicultures, a lot of languages. Uh, food is different. I mean, it was just like, uh, yeah, you call it a culture shock. Mm-hmm. So when did you first come to Nashville? In 2014. Uh, the move to Nashville or just came to Nashville? Yeah, when you, you, you moved to Nashville. In 2014. 2014. Okay. All right. So, Mirat
0: you are the youngster of the group. I am. How how old were you when your family moved here to the States?
3: So uh, it was July 2006. I was like seven, eight years old. And um, it was something. So <laughs> I had actually watched the New York Minute with the Olsen twins okay. beforehand. So I'm like, yeah, that's America. That's where I'm going. <laughs> I come here, I'm like, this is like an episode of National Geographic. So many trees. I'm like, what's <laughs> going on? Yes. I'm like, I've been kidnapped by my parents. So, yeah, I knew very little English, of course. Um, my dad and I, I want to say, were like kind of the guinea pigs of the family. Like, first to get a job, first to go to school. So I'm like, I okay. don't know what's going on. I'm okay. Like-
0: <laughs> so you were just adjusting to being in America as right. an eight-year-old. Why did your parents decide to move to the United States?
3: We just had family here, so it was like (laughs) it was easier. Um, I want to say one of the family members originally came to Pennsylvania. I don't know which city, but then he moved down here and basically brought most of the family over. So it was like extended family. Okay. um, Both on my parents' side. So. All right.
0: So you're the first of—you have two siblings, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So you're the first of the three to go to school here. Yes. What was that like for you? What do you remember about, you know, entering the public school system I'm here like, in Ooh, Nashville?
3: Ooh, this is booty. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it was actually Una Elementary School. Um, my third grade teacher, Ms. Vieira, shout out to her. Um, she was super sweet. I actually had, it was like an ELL class, English Language Learners class. And so it was... Pretty unique, I guess, because, you know, there was like Egyptian kids in there, but then there was also Latino kids in there. So I was like, okay, cool. So like this is kind of like everybody's here. Everybody's got a different story. So it was definitely unique and different. Um, So I was lucky enough to be like in the Davidson County area, which is the most populated Egyptian area anyway. So
0: now do you remember a little bit about what life was like back in Egypt?
3: Yes, I do. Um I was just surrounded by family. I went to an all-girls school. <laughs> it was a private school. Um and so very very interesting to say the least in terms of like culture in school as well as like society, everything. Like I just remember like, you know, back in Egypt it's like women can like not like they can't necessarily express themselves in all of the cities, just in certain areas, for mm-hmm. example, so how they dress mm-hmm. or act or whatever, right? So um, so I just remember coming here and, like, I'm like, wow, everybody can dress how they want, and it was, it was so cool, and it's just, like, the access to, like, toys and things like that. It was mm-hmm. just, like, you know, instead of seeing 10 Barbie dolls, I'm seeing, like, 20 Barbie dolls and then Bratz dolls, and you know what I mean? So yeah. it's, like, a different kind of, like...
0: Did did, your—I'm curious about what your parents told you all about these cultural differences that you're experiencing and you're also seeing as you're growing up. How did your parents talk to you about that?
3: So my dad originally worked for the Yellow Pages, which is, like, a Canadian company. So he was already kind of, like, around, like, non-Egyptians in general. So he kind of, like, had an idea of what, like, Western culture is like in general. Um, I didn't really, like, ask them much I, I swear, I just went off of that movie, mm-hmm. <laughs> The Olsen Twins. The Olsen yeah. twins. <laughs> so, um, so I just, I didn't know. I was just like, okay, well, I have to go to school. I'm terrified. I'm scared. Like, I don't know if I'll fit in. It was just kind of like that. But yeah, just it, overall, in general, I did have a culture shock in terms of, wow, like so much to do. I can do anything kind of thing. And it's like... Okay, And even like church and things like that, which I want to say church is kind of like how Egyptians like kind of interact with one another, like meet new people, like whatever. Um, And so even church was like different because they included English this time around. So typically it's like Coptic, which is it kind of looks like Greek. And then it's Arabic, right? And then now English is included. I'm like, oh, wow, okay. And so, like, even saying, like, just the prayer in English, like, I had to learn that and just things like that. I was like, Mm. okay. Mm
0: hmm. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. Now, if you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Kalona. We're talking this hour about our Egyptian community. My guests are Ashraf Azer, Raghab Rashwan, and Miret Hanin. You can tweet us your comments at this is Nashville. Now, Raghab, you were in New York, New Jersey, and you moved to Nashville. Mm.
5: What brought you here? Uh, well, my wife originally from Nashville. Okay. Yeah, she's like four generation in Nashville, so... Um, How'd you meet? We met in my coffee shop in Cairo. Okay. And she spent a f- uh, few years with me in Egypt as well before we moved here. You fell in love with the Nashvillian? Yeah, oh, after a fight. <laughs> after a fight? Okay, tell me about that. <laughs> well, it was like five o'clock right after Christmas and five o'clock in the morning, you know, and she walked in uh, from an internet cyber next door. And I was sitting just like in the morning, you know, and she just like asked for a tea was really rude way. So I had to, you know, I wasn't really interested like in in serving her. And um, just, you know, that's happened. And then we we get together and we talked and she was learning Arabic. So I told her I can help her with that. And then she can help me with my English. Mm-hmm. And two months later, we I asked her to marry me. Two months later, mm-hmm. that is amazing. Well, you can't date in Egypt. Okay. Yeah, and it's um, it's just like that's the way to go. <laughs> that's the way to go. Yeah. And
0: and here you are, all these years later. Mm-hmm. That is beautiful and fantastic. Now. Ashraf, tell me, did you bring your family with you when you moved here?
4: Yeah, you know, actually, you know, the funny thing, it's uh, most of the, I came uh, with a green card, as they call it, you know, the lottery visa, mm-hmm. because you win the lottery when you come to USA. And uh, USA at this time, I don't know if this happened until now, it's giving away 55,000 green card around the world. For whoever struggling with racism or nationality or, you know, any kind of, you know, uh, religion, all this kind of stuff. You know, uh, one of my friends actually took my ID, the Egyptian ID, and he applied for me and for my wife in the immigration. I wasn't think to go outside Cairo, never think to come to America. Okay, And all of a sudden, you know, after like six, seven months, we find the first letter coming under my wife's name. What? What? What is this letter about? You know, what's going on? And, you know, a few months later, I sent the application and they returned back the second, which we call it like the second letter, which the letter is telling you, OK, now uh, you're going to set up appointment in the you know embassy and you have to go, you know, have interview in the embassy but you will get your green card visa for five years. Oh, wow, that's easy. Uh, too many people are struggling to have even, you know, visit visa to USA to mm-hmm. come here. But we get it in the lottery, you know, we count ourself lottery. My daughter was four years old. I was in the same uh, church. Uh, Marit and, and her family go to. I know them since she was young. <laughs> now... Like exactly she said, you know, it's my daughter right now. She in the second four year in the medical field in TSU. She finished her first four year in Libescom University uh, studying physical therapy. This is something is going to be very, very hard to get your daughter into it. If you are still in Egypt, Ah. this is the reason we call it. Okay, this is the lottery. And we came to the American dream. And we live on it now. Mm -hmm. I have my house, I have my car, my, you know, working uh, wife, uh, my daughter in the fifth year in the university. This is way, way much expensive if you try to get your daughter or your son in Egypt to to get this kind of study. So the opportunities you found moving here have Huge. been
0: fruitful and been very beneficial for your family. Yes, sir. Okay. You were fine, able to, to find a way for yourself. Yes. Now, now Ragab, I understand, a lot of people in Nashville understand you've found a way for yourself because you're the owner of King Tut's restaurant and popular food truck. Now, did you start that in Nashville or was that in New York?
5: I started in New York as Falafel Factory, and I changed the name as, uh, after I moved to uh, Nashville. I mean, uh, America is in a land of opportunity and it's an idea. And if you came here, I advise anyone just like try to find something you are good with it and learn how to develop these things and make it happen and learn the rules and study the law and understand how to communicate and, and to, uh, to deal with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of things to learn, not just to make money. So for me, I was just like a challenge, and I came to America, and I want to make it right. And now I want make it. I want to make my dream come on, and I, I feel like I'm happy with it, being in uh, Travel D, being you know, being in Nashville, recognized by, uh, like, by some uh, local sort like uh, source media, social media. It's it's amazing for me, and I'm happy with it, and. Just like you know, now I'm just trying to take care of my two kids. Mhm. Yeah. How old are your kids? Uh, she's ten and a half, and one six and a half. called herself herself okay. seven. Okay. So you got growing
0: <laughs> kids. now. Mm-hmm. With
5: King Touch, you have this,
0: you this this combination of American and Egyptian cuisine. What were you? What are you trying to do when you introduce Americans to Egyptian well,
5: food? As I say, like you you try to understand the community where you are in. So if I represent the Egyptian food, the way we eat it or the way people serve it in home, I don't think American will be, you know, I, I, I learned a lot. I talked to a lot of people before I started the business. I invite people over to serve them the, the way we eat, how we eat the food. It's okay for American to eat it if you invite them to your house for free, mm. but it's hard for them. They will say no if you ask them to buy it. So here is the challenge you need to transfer, transfer the, the food from the way you plate it in your home to the way American would like it. So add some color, it changed the way it is. It's just like make it a nice picture.
0: Mm-hmm. I understand that. Now, Miret, you talked about your siblings, your sisters, right? Yes. You have two sisters. Okay, so we just heard, you know, Ashraf talk about the opportunity for his daughter. Yeah. Was that part of your parents' dream?
3: Absolutely. So just more chances and opportunities. I feel like Um, when I asked my dad, it was just like for a better life. Mm -hmm. You know, that was literally the answer, except in Arabic, but (laughs) just for a better life. Um, So just getting the opportunity absolutely is a privilege. Just it's it's exactly um, what you make it. Mm -hmm. It's the land of opportunity. Mm -hmm. So it's exactly what you make it. And obviously there are challenges along the way. And so, you know, like having a different name or people butchering it, I'm like, OK, all right, guys. Like there was a job interview where I was just like, you know what? It's Marrette, just like cigarette. Like it, hopefully they'll remember it that way. Okay. You know what? Like and so funny enough, actually, there is an Egyptian brand of cigarettes called Marette. OK, so that is an ongoing joke.
0: So. Question, you know, how important was it for your parents to keep you and your siblings attached to Your heritage and Egyptian culture, did you all take visits as you were growing up? Yes,
3: absolutely. So the first visit was, I want to say, after two to three years. And it was just like, you know, you're supposed to connect with family and things like that. I want to say Egyptians in general are very, like, family orientated. Um, It's super important for us to just stay in touch with family, talk to family, like my mom calls her sisters on the daily, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's it's just super, super important to, you know, have that connection. Um, and just to keep in touch with the culture, I feel like the biggest culture shock actually was when, like, you get reverse culture shock going back in general, right? But after the revolution, it was completely different because Egypt in general is very conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, After that, it was just like, wow, everybody's just bold now. Like, everybody's just, you know, able to talk about whatever, you know, discuss whatever, especially because they've seen everything, you know, like the extremes of the extremes and violence and things like that um, during people lost their lives. So it was just so... Interesting, I want to say is probably the correct word um, to me to go ahead and like go to church in Egypt and see that they're actually a little bit more progressive over there than they are here.
0: Hmm, how so?
3: So they're able to talk about whatever. Everything's on the table kind of thing. Like everybody's socializing. It's not like a taboo because, OK, we're not allowed today. <laughs> we're not. That's just You're not, not a allowed thing. to
0: date. No, that must have been hard so, growing up
3: yes oh I was a bad kid bro (laughs) I'm just kidding mom and dad love you um but it's more so of like you know they're just like guys and girls are like able to socialize in church and this and that here if I do that it's kind of like a taboo like are you supposed to be doing whose daughter is this like you know you know what I mean so it's just weird and so like I guess immigrants in general when they come they raise us or like our immigrant parents they raise us based on how they were raised like in the 70s 80s 90s which is completely fine but it's like that's not how it is now in egypt so it's just like kind of like you're taking you know a step back but also progressing but Mm -hmm. like also taking a step back we
0: have to take a short break but i do want to talk about where the community how the community has progressed and some of the community's needs right after this when we come back we'll continue this conversation about the Egyptian community in our city and examine what their needs are and what they would like to see change for the better. You can join the conversation by tweeting us at this is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil Ekalona, and this is Nashville. Our immigrant communities are part of what makes our city an attractive place to live and visit and today we've been talking with three members of our egyptian community and learned about how they and their families came to make nashville their home now let's talk about what the community's needs are my guests are ashraf Azer, ragab rashwan and meret Hanine. thanks again to you all for being with us really appreciate it now ashraf you. you helped to found the el mahaba center and that's a place that helps Arabic-speaking communities in Nashville. T- how, tell me this. How connected was the Egyptian community
4: at the time of the center's creation? Um, it's We started, like, five years ago because the needs of the community we saw, you know, it's not too many people can give you the right direction to think, which we think about it at this time. Uh, we get, you know, not at, like... As the number right now for the newcomer we have newcomers coming they need some kind of help and you know uh, with living with food with all this kind of stuff we start you know getting there and think about idea how to help the community have the diaper food diaper bank uh, every month i have uh, the uh, mother day celebration we have the giveaway saturday we have Christmas giveaway gift, all this kind of stuff. Uh, one of the main thing we think about it at this time, the ACT class uh, tutoring, because too many people doesn't know how to. Like Merit said, you know, when I go to the school and I facing so and so and so, not everybody have the same education as her father and her mother, mm-hmm. and this is the issue. Uh, even when you have opportunity to opportunity to learn English as ESL classes somewhere at church at the monk at everywhere they allow ESL classes. One of our biggest issue we try to let the people think in English and the talk in English. Until now, too many people. Even if you are fluent English, you know you still think in Arabic, translate mm. to English, which is to give you the delay between you and whoever interviewing you we have been uh, serving the community with a lot of video during uh, covid-19 uh, even we one time we have our host dr heldreth uh, from uh, you yes. know d- yeah, from dr. Alex, yeah from harry dr Al- alex uh, from uh, Van oh. know, Vanderbilt, yes, sir. and we interview them about uh, when this happened in Nashville and we have the lockdown. People have a lot of time in hand at this time, which we think about, you know, having video stream every Sunday talking about one of these issues. Now, I don't know another language,
0: but how hard is it to think in the new language that you're learning?
4: as opposed to your native tongue? Um, I have the opportunity. I find uh, it was cross the street from the work. Um, I work in gellord Oberland. Uh, McGevek High School, They're giving away ESL classes at this time. Uh, it's night classes, it's not easy. You have to have a car, which it's bring us to the second issue. You have to have a car because you finish work, finish your shift, imagine work in the hospitality. It's not easy. Uh, but you have to do something i start learning english take classes from a to z and you know this is the way every time you think to say something you think in the different language the people talking with you about it Mm -hmm. you think in arabic how i gonna answer this question after that in in very very fast, it's a quick second. Yeah. But you still think in Arabic and speak in English, which sometimes doesn't get you to the point you need to talk about it. Which it's one of the challenge facing a lot of newcomer coming here. Mm-hmm. This is the language. Okay. Now, now,
0: Rakab, tell me this: Do you is the in- Egyptian community here in Nashville? Is it pretty
5: tight? Do you think so? Um, and not in certain way. They can be tight in like a worship surface. You find them all gathered, but not really outside the worship place. So they they need, um, there is no like uh, a leader or there is no place where get gets them all together. So they're in different direction outside like church or mosque. Why do you think that is? Uh, because the first generation usually what they think about it, because most Egyptian here, they came from the south, which... It's a forgetting area in Egypt for more than 70 years. None of the three presidents care about it. None of the three regimes in Egypt and before even the British war in Egypt, no one does anything to the south. So you call it um, just like the forgetting place. Mm -hmm. So they came from this area and most of them really uh, struggled there. And when they get to the opportunity here, they start uh, thinking about you know, like their work, they make money. And the first thing they want to do is they want to buy places in Egypt, fancy places, so they can just like, uh, like tell themselves, you know, I did it. Mm-hmm. So they they work hard. They they just collect money to help their family, to buy something for themselves. They And also just like a traditional in Egypt, parents always think about their kids, even like until the last day of their life, they say, I want to leave something for my kids. I want to leave something for them. What about you? Yeah. What about you? Your kids, like, you know, maybe in Egypt is a different economy uh, situation. In Egypt, you have to leave something for your kids. As she said, or he said about his daughter got, like, a PhD here. It's hard to get it in Egypt, at least you are wealthy. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know?
0: Okay, so the community people have come here particularly from southern egypt it's mostly and their their focus is let me make money yes. let me work 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 well, what can be done how do you want to see the community get together i mean i guess it it americans love a, a hard and strong work ethic but there is in, the enjoyment of life as well as you were alluding to mm-hmm. what do you want
5: the community to first do? i want to tell you something about the egyptian egyptian are really loved people Everywhere in Nashville, you can find them in a gas station, in a hotel service, in a restaurant, anywhere in a cab driver or Uber. They're friendly, nice people. When they get to know you, they want to invite you in their house. So I, what I'm trying to see, like I would love to see also, like, this is a big something uh, on his shoulder because he started the center, Mr. Ashraf. So he will work with that too. It's just like trying to get an organization to help these people to understand. This is like, we're trying to, like, it's like kind of education, source of education. Mm-hmm. It's just trying to educate them. You left Egypt. You are not in Egypt anymore. Mm-hmm. So you are safe. You are, you're not going to struggle. You're not going to die of hunger. This, you know, you find job, If you don't find jobs, there's a lot of source you can get help with. Mm-hmm. So you, it's just like, you know, you didn't see that in the second generation. The second generation are American. They think like American. They live like American. They don't have any difference. When they go to Egypt, they feel different. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, Merit, that's what you were kind of talking to before we had the break. And yes. you're... A, a, <laughs> You're this first-generation American, Egyptian-American, and you were talking about this a little bit before, but I want to get back to it. You're talking about the strict rules around dating. Is there a difference (laughs) here for males and females?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Talk to me about it. So, one of my best friends, actually, she has an older brother, and- she obviously, like, goes out and stuff, but he's like, he can do whatever. But then, like, her mom is texting her by, like, 9.05, like, where are you at, girl? I'm okay. like, first of all, free us. <laughs> We're not even in jail. <laughs> but no, um, definitely the double standards, but I feel like back to what Mr. Raghav was saying, it's like they're kind of, like, traumatized, honestly. I feel like it's a trauma response as to how, like, oh, my God, I have to work, I have to work, I have to work. It's just, like— having nothing and then being giving something and making something out of it is just like kind of like a trauma response Mm -hmm. you know what I mean and so seeing that is just it's kind of like heartbreaking but I I just like also can't be like hey it's okay let's like you know do therapy or talk about it or whatever because they'll be like I'm not crazy I'm like okay mom I love you you're not crazy but (laughs) you know what I mean or my dad you know what I mean so it's It's very, very challenging, especially like for those who come from the south. So, for example, I'm from Cairo, um, you know, a city like uh, the capital of Egypt, you know, Um, they call it the New York of the Middle East, actually. And so, um, you know, there is access to education and things like that, but obviously strict, you know, harder to get access to that in the south they don't really have that opportunity. Again, it has to be wealth. Basically, um, it's like Egypt is a very classist place, right? So it's like with money, you can do anything. Without money, you're kind of restrained. And so that also, going to, back to your question about dating, that also restricts a lot of people from seeing each other dating besides just the religious tension, right? So like... It can't be like, oh, this Christian boy is getting with a Muslim girl. That's like that's almost unheard of. It's very, very rare. And some people do get excommunicated from the church if that does happen. So, yeah, but back to the church here, it's interesting (laughs) again Hmm. because yeah like I want to say there's like some certain words in Arabic for example I don't know if you've ever come across the word haram which it's like basically forbidden or you're not supposed to do that Christians use that sparingly like in sentences it's uh, like that word originates from Islam right Mm -hmm. and so it's like you can do that or you can't do that. You're forbidden from doing that. And so, like, they use that sparingly in church. And I'm like, yes, I get it, but also know the meaning behind that because we don't have that in, you know, Christianity, um, Coptic Orthodoxy to be specific, right? So we have appropriate and not appropriate, right? But, you know, so, like, when kids do speak Arabic, like the second generation does speak Arabic, they're just, like, using it as, like, oh, that's a i am like, literally, okay. no, like— <laughs> So that doesn't make sense. It's a little
0: bit of a loss of a connection to Correct. the original intent Correct. of the word, which which kind of speaks to the difference in how they grew up. They grew up as Americans exactly. as opposed yeah. to their parents who grew up in Egypt. Now, you mentioned something about uh, Coptic Christianity mm-hmm. and, and the Muslim community of Amer- yeah. Egyptians. Now, Raghab, you are a Muslim. And from what I understand, most of Egypt, Nashville's Egyptian community is Coptic, mm-hmm. right? Yes.
5: What are those relationships like? Oh. Uh, Honestly, it's the best. Mm -hmm. I have no problem with anyone. Like even back in days in in home, uh, like she mentioned something really interested. A problem in Egypt is uh, you you, you always get direction from people not really well uh, educated to be in the position. Mm -hmm. And religion especially. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people tell you that's wrong, that's right, even they don't understand it. So uh, the things in Egypt is since the pharaohs, how to control people is use religion. That's an American s- thing, too. To get surrounded <laughs> yes. around you. And, you know, this is a really big deal in Egypt. So if you are talking religion, Egypt, people will just, like, gather around you, and they will follow anything you said. Mm. Uh, and when they get out of this box, they find themselves, they were just isolated from the world. Mm-hmm. I uh, understand. Now, I understand something that you wanted to create an event out here called National Egyptian Day. Yes, sir. There's a, one day we have in Egypt since the Pharaohs, it's more than 4,000 years ago, they celebrate it, which is called Shama. Shama, we, with the modern Egyptian, we call it Shama Nisim, but the ancient name for it is Shama, which means the harvest, the beginning of the harvest, with the royal, the, the king of like the Pharaoh and all of his uh, all of the Egyptians used to go in the same day, spend the whole day out in the field in a bark, by the Nile, eat uh, eggs, hard-boiled eggs, a lattice, and a salty uh, fermented uh, fish. Mm-hmm. And the hard-boiled egg represents the life, the lattice represents the spring. It's the new life coming. And the, the salty fish, they use it, the fermented salty fish, it helps their stomach see justice like to be ready from transaction from winter to the spring, mm-hmm. it's like a medicine. Okay, That's It a smells
3: re- very interesting. It's
5: <laughs> very, explain. And there's, there's, uh, I'm so sorry. You didn't know about that, huh? Two, two things about that salty fermented uh, the fish. If it's unprepared, well, you will, you will see, you will have coffee with Jeffer, uh, Thomas Jefferson and that you in two hours. So you'll hallucinate if it's, <laughs> it's not prepared well. But if it's prepared well, you're fine.
0: <laughs> okay, that, that, that's good to know. I mean, that, okay, that's good to know if someone ever offers that to me. Now, I, I do want to hear a couple of things. Hey, Ashraf, you know, you're the elder of the group. What do you want everybody listening to know about Egyptian Nashvillians in the community here?
4: Okay, uh, first, work on yourself. If you need chances, you need opportunity, Don't just ask for it, no, go ahead, outside your box and get it. This is the way you will get what you need. The first time I step inside my New York, which I staggering for two months stay home. Uh, You know, uh, didn't pass the test for two times. It gave me some kind of panic. And the winter time, nobody visiting us, you know, just we are living by ourselves in the new apartment. Find your opportunity, find your chance. You will find people we are looking, they are smart around you. Just be yourself, find something to do to be better. The moment I step inside the hotel, did I gonna go cleaning the room the entire my life? I cannot, I start as a housekeeper cleaning room, but you know, you have to get classes, English classes. You have to deal with the people. This is your new country. Not like, you know, uh, like Raghab said, and you know, you know, this is your country. This is your family country. This is your son and daughter. Nobody think to go back to Egypt because you're gonna go back to just visit, not to live in anymore. Mm-hmm. That's it, it's done. Work for your future. With the challenge we have right now, it's a lot of challenge. Number getting more and more and more. Uh, people coming through Mexico, oh wow. Uh, 90,000, like 67 years ago, 90% of them was came, came with was green card, which they are working mm-hmm. and pay tax. Yeah. And this is the main main key success yep. Be your
0: thanks. I want to thank all of my guests for being here. Thank you for this wonderful conversation. My guests were Ashraf Azer, who is the operations manager at the Gaylord Opryland Hotel, Raghav Rashwan, the owner of King Tut's restaurant and food truck, and local journalist, Muret Again, Thank you for having us. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you very much. And thank thanks you. to you for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville as a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced and live-tweeted by Char Daxton. Our senior producer is Steve Harouche. Laura Boach is our technical director. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Miss Lydia Youssef. You can listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And the conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at thisisnashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ecolona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.